You're listening to the WPTF Afternoon News with Nate Saunders podcast. I leave for one week and the Supreme Court decides to make a whole bunch of decisions. And I'm like, oh, dang, Friday would be an easy show. But that said, Monday, we can still talk about it for sure. It's all a bunch of big news to talk about the implications of several uh, uh Decisions that were handed out this past week, whether it be student loans, gerrymandering, affirmative action, all sorts of things. I bring on a good friend of WPTF, Michelle Woodhouse. She's a former congressional candidate, political analyst with us. Michelle, thanks for being on the show again. Absolutely. It was a a busy week for the Supreme Court, for sure. On a personal note, between my wife and I, we do have some student loans that still exist. They have not been paid off. And so a few years ago, about a year or so ago, we were like, should we pay them off just right now? Just get rid of them. And then it started to be in the news that the president was looking like he was going to try to forgive, quote unquote, $10,000 of student loans. We're like, oh, well, at least we'll leave that much just, you know, because it, why pay it? If the government's going to pay for it, again, quote-unquote, pay for it. Uh, And so we've just been sitting off on it, and I think it was fair to not pay for it immediately. And now we're seeing from the Supreme Court, at least Biden's move isn't going to go through. Well, absolutely. You know, the court ruled that President Biden overstepped his authority in trying to spend about $430 billion in student loan forgiveness, and that this any action like this needs to be authorized by Congress. And so I, I think it was a, a clear ruling, 6-3. Um, I, too, have a, a child who has some student loan debt from graduate school, and I think she was kind of hedging in, in much the same way uh, that you and your wife were. But I think the student loan conversation is far from over, even with the ruling from the Supreme Court. I think that takes it back, and Congress is going to need to look at decisions that they need to make, not only in what we're going to do with this exorbitant debt that young people are taking on. But I think really looking at uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and these lenders that are, I think, it's predatory lending practices. Some of what they're doing, going after 18- and 19-year-olds who end up accruing tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And those same kids couldn't get a Belk credit card to go spend $700, mm. but we're going to give them tens of thousands of dollars in student debt. And so I think this conversation is a long way from over, but the Supreme Court sent it back to Congress and said, this if, if anything's going to change, it has to be done legislatively, not done by an edict from the president and surely not done in the judicial branch. So I guess then, going along with that, it's still possible that Congress, in theory, I don't know if this current Congress would touch it at all, but they could write some sort of thing that looks at the lenders, but then also says, and by the way, everyone with student loans gets $10,000 forgiven. So it could be passed that way as well. Well, we'll see if they'll, if they'll take it up. I think there's a, a an accountability and personal responsibility issue, of course, that goes along with taking on the student debt. But I do think there's predatory practices that really have to be evaluated. And I've always been a supporter of looking at, do we expand the public health grant system that we currently have, where people in healthcare, um, if they go to PA school or medical school, are able to get debt forgiven by going and working in an underserved community. And they pay back their one, two, or three years, perhaps by serving in a community as a physician, physician's assistant, some, somewhere in that capacity. Why not look at expanding that type of program to include teachers and first responders and you know other professions where if you can't afford to go to college but you want to go or you can't afford to go to trade school and you want to go, 
how do we expand the public health grant program to start to include other facets where we can allow people to get great life skills that then they can return to a community, pay back to that community, get great job experience along the way, and it's a win-win. So I think there should be a lot of things on the table to really look at. I think that's very realistic, at least for the teaching profession. Absolutely. And you can look at trade schools as well. Do you do that with apprenticeship programs, electricians, plumbers, those type of things? Are there other, um, you know, are there other areas? Even, you know, someone like you, if you could um, get your degree in journalism and broadcast, um, your student debt gets forgiven if you go live in North Dakota and uh, put on a great radio show like you do here for us in Raleigh. <laughs> yeah, I actually I knew a fr- I had a friend who went did the same program I did at App State and her his first job. I don't remember if it was north or south, but it was at a Dakota. There we go. Yeah, it happens. So student loans is one thing that we heard of uh, from this past week. Another big one, another college-related one, affirmative action. This uh, surrounded UNC. So that was kind of a North Carolina case as well. Absolutely. Uh, University of North Carolina and Harvard, um, part of the uh, affirmative action case. Again, a 6-3 ruling by the Supreme Court um, saying that the use of affirmative action did violate the 14th Amendment and equal protection. And I think it's what, what I've been really fascinated by with this ruling has been the incredible response from the Asian American community, such a positive response in saying we need to get back to merit-based we are a merit-based society. We, need, we cannot be using these race-conscious admissions policies. And the, the Asian American community was really part of the Harvard component of the suit. But to see um, the strong response from that community in support of the court ruling, I think, is uh, really indicative of what a big, big ruling that it is for students. I was surprised. I mean, maybe I was looking in the wrong places, but I didn't see that much of a race-based response to this ruling. I thought I'd see a lot more of just saying the Supreme Court is being racist with this decision, but I didn't see as much of that as I thought I would. Yeah, I think you you saw a bit of it. Probably you and I probably saw it from some of the same standard places we would expect to, to receive it or to see it. But I think what's interesting about this ruling is that Today in 2023, we should not be lowering standards. It should be merit-based. We're a merit-based society, and and we shouldn't be putting an undue burden on minority students in saying that the only way that we've got to have this policy in place to make sure that you that you have admissions opportunities at places like the University of North Carolina and Harvard. And then what we saw in this case was they were flipping it in at Harvard and penalizing. Uh, Asian American students who are applying and holding them to a, a much higher and different standard. So I think the again, I think the court got it right, um, and probably because we haven't heard a lot of noise about it, would we it would say to me that organizations know that the court got the the ruling right on this one. We could talk about this for a super long time, so I'll quickly go to the last one I have on my list: the ruling uh, from the Supreme Court. That was handed down about the website and the LGBT couple. A person did not want to make the website, goes up to the Supreme Court. I think this, well, this one for me personally is probably the most challenging um, because we do want to protect. I mean, our country is built on our First Amendment rights um, and being able to protect speech. Even if we don't agree with the speech, um, you may not agree with this website designer's um, refusal to create websites for same-sex couples, but 
her speech was, was ruled by the court to be protected. So I think this one probably is a little touchier or more challenging for, for quite a few people. But it really, this ruling was not a, an anti-LGBTQ ruling. It was a ruling centered around the First Amendment. And did this website designer have her speech protected? And the court ruled that she indeed did. It was also a ruling concerning the Internet because the Internet's still very fresh and there's a lot of loopholes in the law surrounding the Internet. So I think this has some implications for web-based things going forward as well. Well, I'm sure it probably does. And I, and I think what one of the cases that, that we haven't yet talked about, but I do think is interesting when we look at it as kind of an umbrella, was the court ruled unanimously on protecting the religious freedoms. The, post, the postal worker who came who, whose case was being heard by the court because he was being forced to work on Sundays and then was demoted for wanting to have his religious freedoms protected. We saw that as a complete 9-0 ruling by the court. Thank you. What we saw in all of these rulings was the, the Supreme Court saying that, you know, we're going to uphold the Constitution. These are the rulings that we know are um, under the purview of that, and it is really looking at, at protecting people's rights and freedoms, as, as outlined in the Constitution. So I don't see, think we saw any um, politicizing of the court with these rulings, and, um, and we, you know, we'll see what, what happens with some of them down the road. Probably not the last that we'll hear of any of these issues, for sure. Probably not. But it is certainly a big statement when you get a 9-0 decision. That really uh, that sets it in stone for good right there. Absolutely. And, of course, the North Carolina voting decision, um, Harper versus Moore, you know, we could do a whole show on that and how that affects the maps that we're going to see coming out of the General Assembly later this year. Uh, interestingly, because North Carolina is the only state where the governor can't veto election maps, so did the, did the next iteration of MAPS end up back in the courts even after the ruling from the Supreme Court? So that one's going to be interesting for us to watch right here in North Carolina. Yeah, I decided to skip that one today because, yes, very complicated. We could talk about that for hours. Here's Michelle Woodhouse, former congressional candidate, good friend of WPTF. Michelle, thanks for being on the show again. Absolutely, and happy Fourth of July.